Hey friends, uh, great to great to have you at the podcast again, and we're really uh, blessed that you would just uh, be able to tune in and, and, and grab a word of encouragement as you go out and make disciples in the harvest. And and this uh, this podcast is with Chris Galanos, and uh, Chris is in Texas, of all places, uh, uh, where our dear friend David Watson is also from uh, in in Texas. But uh, Chris is Chris has got a fantastic story. Which I know a lot of you are familiar with, having having read his book from Mega Church to Multiplication, and a lot of us have been looking at the blog, and and we're familiar with the language of raising the sails and of passionate prayer and starting with God's word, etc. But Chris, great to have you on the podcast, Dave. I'm so honored to be here. Thanks for inviting me. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, well, Chris, we're really blessed, and I'd love to you to just share your story with people. There's a number who would know it, but there's a number who wouldn't as well. So, give us your story from um, starting the church in your in your living room in 2007, and and I would say um, from looking at your story, uh, you know, God allowing you to see thousands of people coming to Christ, you were you would be a shining success story of a mega church. So, yeah, so I'll give you a little bit of the backstory. appreciate that uh, introduction. And we've just been um, excited to see what the Lord has done over the years in and through our church. And as the church has expanded, uh, Dave, I'm sure in your ministry, it's similar. You know, if, if you would have told us in the beginning what we've gotten to be a part of, I don't know if we would have believed it. He's just done, the Lord's done infinitely more than all we could ask or imagine. But it really started, Dave, I went to seminary, felt called to ministry, and uh just, I wasn't really sure what, what I was going to do. I was in college ministry, and so I thought, well, it'd be great to go to seminary and become a college minister. Uh, but while I was in seminary, I took a class, Dave, on church planting. Now, honestly, I'm from West Texas. We don't really have those out there. So when I heard church planting, I thought it was a class on botany, <laughs> like how to plant flowers <laughs> at churches and like, you know, make a church look beautiful. Didn't realize it's about starting new churches, but I took this class and the Lord really spoke to me and my wife uh, as we processed what we were learning in this class and what the Lord was showing us through other people going out and starting churches. So Dave, we felt like the Lord was telling us to start a church. Initially, we were going to start a church in a larger city where there were other computer nerds like me. My background pre-ministry is a computer science major working at Microsoft IT. So I thought, if I'm going to start a church, it's got to be around IT people because that's who I can relate to, <laughs> other computer nerds. And so we, we thought it'd be in you know some larger city, potentially in Texas. But Dave, long story short, we felt like the Lord was calling us to go back home, to my hometown, which was Lubbock out in West Texas. And uh, we realized in doing some research that a lot of people our age at the time, which was about 25 years old, 20s and 30s in my hometown, even though it seemed like everybody went to church, most younger people were not involved in church. And so we decided to start a church. So as you said, uh, we our first gathering was a prayer meeting. It was in our living room. There's about 12 people in the room. Mm. And Dave, like it says in the book, with as much faith as we could muster, we all prayed that the Lord would allow us to see 10,000 people come to know and follow Jesus in the next 10 years. Now, Dave, the Lord was helping us to pray with faith, but I got to be honest, I don't know if any of us believed it would happen. <laughs> you know, We're just saying, Lord, we don't want to reach more church people. We don't want transfer growth. We want to reach the lost in our city, and especially, Dave, people our age, friends I went to school with that had never found a church to connect to. We want to reach the lost. And so 
you know, we started with 12 in the living room and it just grew and uh, multiplied from there uh, to where eight years in, again, our prayer was 10,000 in 10 years. Dave, eight years in, the 10,000th person checked on one of our uh, connection cards, I'm committing my life to Christ. And that's kind of how we we measured it so that we had a name and number and address we could follow up with them. So 10,000 people in year wow. eight, two years ahead of schedule, we're just like, Lord, are you serious? This is amazing. 10,000 people indicated they had put their faith in Christ. And then Dave, in that same period of time, just over, really just under 7,000 people had been baptized. And we had 10 different campuses. We were the um, typical um, multi-site megachurch, if your listeners are familiar with that, where there were satellites on top of the different buildings. And I was at the main campus and they would video it and send it out. And that's kind of what we did. And we had uh, uh, campuses around our city and then also online and on television. And so it, it was amazing. But Dave, let me tell you the turning point. So in year eight, we're saying, Lord, we prayed for 10,000 in 10 years. We, I, I mean, we didn't even, <laughs> we weren't even sure this would happen. You've done it in eight years. Dave, I tell pastors all the time, we began to ask what I consider to be a very dangerous question. Rather than in year eight saying, okay, 10,000, 10 years, check what, you know, Lord, here's our next vision. Instead, in year eight, after passing the 10,000 commitments to Christ, we said to the Lord, asked him this dangerous question, Lord, what do you want our vision to be for the next 10 years? Now tell pastors, be careful before you ever ask that question. Or even people just that are trying to reach their neighborhood or their workplace, be careful if you ask that question. Because if you ask God to give you his vision, rather than telling God what your vision is, Dave, some crazy things can happen. Okay, And so we're praying as a leadership team saying, Lord, what do you want our vision to be for the next 10 years? And Dave, I could keep you here for way too long telling you all the influences in our life at the time uh, that led us to come to the conclusion uh, that we did as to what the the Lord wanted us to pursue in the next 10. But I'll tell you one. Uh, There was a book I'd read in a missiology class in seminary, Dave, that you'd be familiar with, I'm sure. And it's called Church Planting Movements by David Garrison. David's going to join us on, on a coaching call tomorrow. But... I was reading that book. I read it in seminary. I was reading it again around this eight-year mark, Dave, just saying, Lord, what do you want our vision to be for the next 10 years? And I started as I was reading this book, Dave, to see some things in the book that really surprised me. And I'd read it before, but I didn't see it uh, the last time. And I'll just share with you one quote here. In the middle of the book, Garrison said, in the years that followed, Langston, a missionary named uh, Langston, was joined by Calvin and Margaret Fox. And together, they planned what it would take to reach all of the Kui with the gospel. The Kui was a people group they were trying to reach. They, they together said, I just stopped me in my tracks. I was like, what? What are they trying to do? These missionaries got together and together they planned. They made a plan to reach all of a people group. So not nice. just some of them, not let's just reach as many as we can fit into a church building. That wasn't what they were thinking, Dave. They were thinking, how do we reach all of them? Wow. Well, I thought, Dave, there must not be very many of them. That's that's why. You can reach all of them because there's only about 100 of them. So I looked up <laughs> online on the Joshua Project how many Kui there are, these people they were trying to reach. And on the Joshua Project, Dave, there were 1.6 million. Hmm. So these missionaries had the faith to begin to ask the Lord, Lord, would you help us to reach, would you help us develop a plan to reach all 1.6 million? So elsewhere in Garrison's book, other missionaries were doing the same thing. They were planning what it would take to reach everybody. And I'm like, who does that? 
They never taught me that in seminary. They don't say in seminary, here's what you do. You leave seminary, you go out, and you have faith to believe, to make disciples in a whole people group. <laughs> Who teaches? Yeah, right. You know, never heard of that. And so it was t- totally brand new to us, but I started realizing through prayer and through these other influences I was telling you about that were in our lives at this time, uh, where they got this from, this idea of planning to reach whole peoples. And I realized it was the Great Commission. And it was a part of the Great Commission, Dave, that so often you read right past, you know, where we say, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing, and you just keep going through it. And we read past the Panta Ta Ethne, go and make disciples of all nations, like all nations, but whole nations, whole Panta Ta, all of an ethne. And so I could see in the uh, Great Commission, oh, no wonder where they got, they, they got this from. They read the Great Commission. They realized Jesus told them to reach all nations and all of a nation. And so they're making a plan, Dave, to reach all of the people, just like the disciples probably would have had to do. Once they received the Great Commission, they were probably thinking, that's a lot of people, all the nations, Jesus. That's a lot. I don't know if, I, if we can do this. This is a lot of people. At that time, Dave, about 200 million people. In the Audacious. Yeah, yeah, so the disciples are having to make a plan to reach 200 million. That must have been where these missionaries got it from, Dave. So with the Garrison's book and the Holy Spirit speaking to us again to the Great Commission and my um, connection with a guy we were just talking about prior recording, uh, Dr. Stan Parks and Roy Moran and just a number, a number of influences, Dave, the Holy Spirit brought into our lives to believe that we should allow God... <laughs> As we pray for his vision to give us a vision that is bigger than anything we could understand or they feel like we could accomplish mm. our own. Mm. So we had the real sense that maybe we should aim to reach our people group too, which in West Texas, Dave, was about a million people. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that anybody's heard of this in the West or anything, but our little team started praying, Lord, we felt like the, this is what the Lord was telling us to pray. Lord, would you allow us to reach a million not another 10,000 in the next 10 years. Would you allow us to reach a million in the next 10 years? Can I just ask, ask you a question there? Because um, it's really challenging. And what has to shift in you internally for that kind of faith to, like, either you're on you're, you're, you're a madman or you're just um, incredibly audacious and or... Or there's something going on inside that 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 causes you to make that shift. Because what you're just praying for there is basically in in our abilities unattainable. It's it's beyond our capacity. It's beyond our abilities. Um, um, which I guess is the point of prayer, right? But what what's what's going on inside? What's what's the faith? Thing that God is causing you to pray for that. How, how did God birth faith that you would even think of asking that question? Yeah, great question. And you said it correctly. God had to have birthed that because, like you said, there's no way we would have assumed we could do that on our own. What would we have had to go, go by to assume that that would even be possible? Dave, how could we build enough buildings, hire enough pastors, Hire enough worship leaders. How, how could I mean? And um, so I would just say the faith came from as a gift from the Lord through reading his word, through being influenced by other believers filled with faith and being willing to say, maybe kind of like the disciples, Lord, increase our faith. Yeah. <laughs> you know, our faith yeah. may not be there. Would you yeah. increase our faith? And I think these people around me, Dave, and the resources 
uh, some of the books and then, of course, the Holy Spirit through Scripture just helped us to say, we want to be willing to do whatever it takes to reach our people because the Lord has revealed in Scripture He doesn't desire that any perish, but all come to repentance. So, David, if we're serious about it, if we believe that He means that, and that he's inviting us to partner with him to see that not happen, see people not perish, then, Dave, we have to be willing to allow him to do through us more than we could think or imagine, more than we could think is possible, because with him we know all things are possible. And so I think, Dave, it wasn't overnight, but I think over time he, he, he put the faith in our hearts to be able to say, you know what, we're going to aim for the million. And if we hit a million, Dave, great. If we don't, great. But, Lord, you see our hearts, and that is we're aiming for your heart, Lord, which is our whole region. Nobody in our region left behind. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And and um, it's just, it's it's a journey, isn't it, of God's interaction, faith being birthed in the heart, and, and buying into what God wants to do rather than buying into what I can do, <laughs> which which I come to the Lord with my puny little um, efforts and I go, Lord, this is just not enough. And then, then he says, yeah, let, let, let me take over. Let me tell you what I want to do. So, yeah. Dave, you know, one thing we tell people in our DMM training is it's in lesson four, and this is not, we, we don't tell them because we came up with this. We received this training from overseas. Uh, Dr. Stan Parks was the first one that trained us. But it says in Lesson 4, Dave, the vision lesson, it says something along the lines of, and I'm paraphrasing, the movement catalysts God seems to use are, so everybody's paying attention now because everybody wants to be a movement catalyst, the movement catalysts God seems to use are people who are willing to receive a God-sized, impossible vision to see a whole people, ethne, language, or nation reached, something like that. So let me say that, Dave, for the audience just one more time. The movement catalysts God seems to use, people that catalyze movements, the, the guys and gals God seems to use, are people who are willing to receive from God a God-sized impossible vision to see a whole people, language, ethne, or nation reached. Wow. And so, David, it made sense to us as the Lord was giving us that vision, and we went through this training that, yeah, it's a vision like that, Dave, that compels you to pursue multiplication, Dave, because you know it's the only thing that can accomplish it. DMM or movement approaches, Dave, I tell people all the time, they're totally uncontroversial if you start with a God-sized vision because they're your only option. (laughs) So it wasn't like at our church, Dave, we were like, okay, we're seeing all these great things, but we've heard about DMM and we like it better. (laughs) That wasn't it. It was God gave us a vision, Dave, for a million in the next 10 years, and we thought, Can we keep doing what we've been doing, namely addition, which is not bad. It's good. It's bearing fruit. Can we keep doing addition, Dave, and have any chance of seeing a million? The answer is no. So as our leadership team talked about it, we thought either we've got the wrong vision from the Lord. We shouldn't be praying that prayer. We've got to get rid of that prayer and go back to another 10,000, 10 years, because then we can just keep doing what we're doing. But Dave, if that was from the Lord and we thought it was, guess what? Our only option Our only approach that could take us there is one that would multiply disciples, churches, leaders, and movements, period. So it wasn't like, oh, we didn't like the the megachurch model, and so we moved. I mean, again, I think in hindsight, there's some things that, uh, you know, I I know now that I'm like, I might have done this differently. But the truth was, Dave, we were compelled into multiplication by the God-sized vision. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So the vision forced you to start thinking differently. And yeah, 
or or Dave, get rid of the vision. Change the vision. Get a smaller vision so that addition can accomplish it. Mm. Mm. So uh, draw us into then the process of from from God speaking. You're you're at the ten thousand mark. You said great eight years. Suddenly. That you you wrestle with what's God, what is your vision? Uh, things are being birthed in your heart, but you, you're still a pastor of a mega church, right? And you're 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 turning up every Sunday, and, and people are listening to the sermon, and you get some who who come up to you and say, "Fantastic sermon," and others will, will go back and we 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 caught in Australia we have roast lamb on Sundays you know um, roast lamb and roast pasta so um, yeah <laughs> some some will love your sermon and yeah what's the shift what 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 happened then after that so Dave so again we're in a leadership team meeting on the whiteboard we write the million and ten years at the top believing that's from the Lord we wrote down all the ways Dave we thought that that might be possible if that's what the Lord wanted to do and we came up with only one option and that was some kind of CPM approach. And the one that we were trained in was DMM. So we thought that's our only option. So Dave, we said, we said we're all in. And we said, we're going to roll this out at our 10-year anniversary. Because remember, this is year eight, right? Year eight, we, we crossed the 10,000 in 10 years. So we're praying year nine and ten, before we get to the 10-year anniversary. So Dave, at the 10-year anniversary, you know, we had 10 campuses. So we couldn't all fit in one place. But for our 10-year, we wanted to roll this out. And uh, have everybody in one place. So we rented out, Dave, the local basketball coliseum <laughs> so, so that we could have all the campuses come join together in this one place. So this was our 10-year anniversary. They came and we celebrated the 13,000 plus, Dave, that had come to Christ, the you know 7,000-ish people that had been baptized, celebrated, celebrated. And then we just said, we believe the Lord, we told the church, we believe the Lord has spoken to us, to our leadership team. And kind of rolled out this idea of the Lord did 10,000 in the first 10 years, did in eight years. We think he's wanting us to pray for and to pursue a million in the next 10. And everybody's like, you know, like a golf clap, like, that's awesome. Is that possible? <laughs> what, I mean, I'm sure the thousands of people in the Coliseum were thinking, that's an awesome vision. I just, I don't, um, you're going to have to explain this. <laughs> you know, what in the world does that mean? And Dave, you'll, you'll love this. So there was one person, I think, in the room that might have understood what I was talking about. And our mutual friend, Victor John, from uh, South Asia, who has seen movements that multiply, was sitting there on the second row. Wow. And I told the people in the Coliseum, there's one guy that understands. He's here. And those of you, if you'll continue on the journey with us, you'll come to understand as well. So, Dave, after that, I think people are thinking... I think I'm excited, but hopefully this isn't going to change the church that I love. And Dave, of course, it has to change the church that we all love (laughs) because it's the Lord's church and he's given us this grand vision and it's going to require multiplication, Dave. And that's different than addition. And Dave, especially in the West, and you can tell me if it's true in Australia and Europe as it would be in in the U.S., is there's things about addition that we've grown up with and it's comfortable to us. And that we'd love to not have to change. <laughs> and if we do have to change them, it might kind of bother us. And we might have to think, Lord, is this what you want me to be a part of? Because Roy Moran, Dave, says it really well. He says, addition brings people to you. 
multiplication sends them away or launches them out. Wow. So mm. with pastors that get paid, that like some control, of which I've been one, <laughs> we like addition better. <laughs> you can control it. You can count it. It's right here. You can protect it. It's addition. Multiplication, Dave, starts to move away from you. So for many reasons, it can be scary. It can be intimidating. And so in the weeks after that 10-year anniversary, Dave, the week after that and the two weeks later and three we began to cast vision for what this would look like in our church. And I think when the rubber met the road, many people thought, this is the greatest thing. I've been waiting for this my whole life. And probably many more thought, I think I like addition better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so <clears throat> what we told people in the weeks that followed, Dave, that series, uh, or that 10-year anniversary and then the series that was after it, was we just said, Here's what we think it looks like initially. We think that the Lord wants us to look at everything that we're doing and leverage it for multiplying disciples. So Dave, our small groups, look at it again and make sure we're leveraging it to multiply disciples. Our weekend gatherings, look at them again. Are they multiplying? Are they just adding? And if they're adding, leverage it to multiply disciples. Look at our children's ministry, Dave leverage it. We're using the word leverage a lot. We're going to leverage, Dave, everything we're doing, everything for multiplication or for DMM or for this vision of seeing disciples, multiplying disciples and churches, multiplying churches. So Dave, initially what we did was we just encouraged all the staff in in our church. We had quite a few staff just to begin to pray and ask in my particular area, what is leveraging it look like? What do we need to do? So, for example, Dave, in the children's ministry, some of the children's ministers decided, you know what, we're going to start doing Discovery Bible study with the kids. Mm-hmm. And so they started teaching the kids how to do Discovery Bible study. And in, the, in their classroom time, instead of doing the teaching they were doing before or showing the video they were showing, Dave, they started doing Discovery Bible study. And on the weekends, we started um, doing some training at the beginning. We said, really, we think... The sermon, Dave, in our context, has been more information transfer, (laughs) knowledge transfer, than training to obey, like Jesus said in uh, the Great Commission. And so basically we kind of started doing, Dave, more training. And then even, Dave, in a weekend gathering, picture a thousand people in the room, (laughs) even in a weekend gathering, after the little training, we might have people turn to their neighbor, get in groups of three to five, and begin to process how to apply it and how to share it. Mm-hmm. You can imagine some people thought that was awesome, <laughs> and many people did not like that. <laughs> you know. So again, but here's what here's what was great through the whole thing. Many people told us, "Hey, Chris, we are cheering for you guys. That vision God's given you. I, I just think I want to be a part of a more normal church." <laughs> and and Dave, we would always say, "The Lord bless you." You know, mm-hmm. I totally we yeah. totally understand because Dave, we, we were not ignorant. Before we rolled this out, we knew that many people would likely say, I've loved this in the first 10. I even like your next 10 journey and vision. I just think I'm going to be a part of another church. Dave, we were prepared for that so that when it came, we weren't begging people to stay or trying to pursue. We wanted everybody, Dave, to do what the Lord had told them to do. So we had many people in the, in the coming years leave the church. But it was, Dave, I say mostly good. They were probably a little disappointed just because they liked the first 10. But we told them, hey, in the first 10, many of you became disciples. Many of you committed your life to Christ. In the next 10, we want to make you into a disciple maker. Mm -hmm. And some, again, some were just thrilled. 
and, and others were not, as I'm sure your audience and you would expect. So anyway, we start to leverage everything. And, you know, and, and that, that, that was really a probably a three year journey, Dave. And I, I could talk more about that, but I'll, I'll see if you have any more specific questions. <laughs> yeah, that, that's gutsy because you, you really had to um, uh, be prepared to lose people. And that and really focus on on multiplication. Uh, did your numbers go up or did it go down over those three years? Way, way down. Way down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And giving to Dave. I mean, you know, it takes yeah. we, Dave before that 10 year anniversary. You know what we did for the for the next year? We assumed we would have half the money. So for our budget for the next year, Dave, before we even rolled it out, we budgeted basically 50 percent of what we had been. Because, Dave, what we expected. So, Dave, what I would tell your audience, too, is there's a cost involved in following Jesus. We should expect that. So, we, we knew, Dave, that uh, giving would go down, attendance would go down. Dave, we thought maybe everybody would leave and we would start over and that would be what the Lord wanted to do. But we sure, Dave, wanted to shepherd the people that wanted to stay into this new, grander vision that we felt like the Lord had given our church and those that wanted to go to a different church, we wanted to shepherd them there as well. But Dave, again, it didn't surprise us because we know that in order to follow Jesus, Luke 14, we must be willing to give up everything we have. And as a church, Dave, we were so committed to this million and 10 years, to nobody perishing, but all coming to repentance, that Dave, we were willing to give up everything we had. And mm. we pretty much had to. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. You have this these terms, and I'm presuming you kind of developed this language over that that period of time of shift of raising the sales. Um, you know, just starting to see the key elements of disciple making movements being formed as as elements within the strategy. Um, why don't you talk us through what it takes to raise the sales um, within within um, uh, your context, but also how it would encourage us. Love it, Dave. Yeah. Let me walk you through the seven, kind of through our story in the, uh, in the, um, the, the years that followed. So the first element, and these are not um, necessarily, you don't follow these in order. They're kind of all happening at the same time, but I'll just share them in the order that we use. But the first one is focus on God's word, putting aside, Dave, extra biblical traditions and methods and things that may or may not still be helpful but your focus is on God's word, obeying him and doing what he tells you to do. And so our team began to try to do that even more, taking his word, Lord, what are you saying? What are you wanting us to do? And how can we share this with others? The second sale is multiplying extraordinary prayer. They've really probably, if if people were to say, how could you weather this storm? As people started leaving, why didn't you just flip the switch and go back to what you were doing before? Well, how do you weather this storm, Dave, without multiplying extraordinary prayer? There's no way it would have happened. What we started doing, Dave, is we went from praying once a week as a team to praying every day and through the night on Sunday. So we got really serious about prayer. So every day we're praying, and then on Sunday night we pray from like 8 p.m. to 12 a.m. or 9 p.m. to 2 a.m. or you know some kind of like half night of prayer window. And every weekday, every day, and then every weekend, Dave, through the night saying, Lord, sustain us. Show us if we're on the right track. Show us what you want us to do. Show us if we need to change something. You know, <laughs> so we're multiplying extraordinary prayer. We're praying, Dave. We're encouraging other people to pray. And I feel, Dave, really like it's it was through those prayer times and in those prayer times that God was speaking to us and continuing to encourage us and affirm our direction, Dave, even though it felt like, in a sense, we were 
almost relaunching <laughs> church. You yeah. know? It kind of almost like starting, not intending to start over, but just, uh, you know, people deciding if they wanted to be a part of it or not. So we're multiplying prayer. And then, Dave, during that time, the third sale is casting vision to believers, and the fourth is training them to make disciples. So what we started doing, Dave, is we were preparing to roll out the vision at the 10-year anniversary. We kind of started casting vision to some of our on-fire people in the church hmm. and inviting them to be a part of a training. And so, Dave, I think we took several hundred people through the training, and they had committed, Dave, that at our 10-year anniversary, while we celebrated what God did in the first 10, we were going to launch 50 what we called DMM churches right there at our 10-year anniversary to be our first 50 churches that would meet in homes to be sent out from our church with hopefully many more to come. So you can imagine being at the 10-year, we're celebrating the first 10 and the baptisms, and then at the end, everybody comes up to lay hands on the first 50 church planters, you know, that we're going to go out and uh, start these initial churches. And so we cast a vision to them. We trained them early on. And then, Dave, after the 10-year anniversary, we started casting vision to the larger church every weekend and inviting them into trainings, telling them, here's where we're going. We can, t- In case you're saying, hey, I don't know how to make disciples. I want to be a part of this. Would you help me learn how to make disciples? Dave, we had what we called DMM trainings happening on a regular basis that they could be a part of. So then after, so we've got focus on God's word. We're multiplying extraordinary prayer. We're casting vision to believers. We're training them. And then what? Then the next sale is you go out among the lost. You're going out looking for people of peace, using access ministry, serving the lost to find people that are spiritually open and that are willing to gather the next sale, see group start, gather a group together to begin to discover more from God's word about him and his plan for their lives so that they can obey him and they can share it with others. So Dave, we start going out having tons of spiritual conversations. And then some of the spiritual conversations would lead to what we called a DG invitation, a discovery group invitation to bring their family and friends together around God's word in a discovery group to begin to discover more uh, for themselves about, you know, the Lord through his uh, word. So we began to multiply these groups uh, and I can tell you more about that and, and multiply them across the city in addition to these churches that had been sent out. These churches, Dave, they are weekly going out among the lost, trying to see groups start. We don't say start groups ourselves. We're saying see groups start. We learn that because it's God that starts the group. So we're just seeing God start these groups as we share with people and invite their friends and family around God's word. And then sale number uh, seven, Dave, is ongoing coaching. And that's just along the journey, we're coaching these new churches and we're coaching the people that are starting these groups to help these churches eventually um, start new churches and multiply and help these groups uh, start new groups and multiply. So those seven sales, Dave, have kind of guided us ever since. That's our focus. Even, Dave, in our DMM church, in many of our DMM church meetings, the church meeting would revolve around the seven sales. So for focusing on God's word, Dave, we might, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely each time we'll do some kind of a discovery Bible study. We'll read, we'll obey, we'll share. Then somebody will talk about how we're going to multiply extraordinary prayer this week. Then somebody else is kind of assigned to talk about how we're going to go out among the lost and how we're going to see groups start. And then somebody else, Dave, is talking about the next time we're going to um, you know, have a training. So we all need to be casting vision to our family and friends to go through a training. And then somebody else is doing some coaching. So Dave, Dave the seven cells, definitely, if you came around and hung out with us, you would see those um, raised as high as we can raise them. <laughs> so that, that, that just sounds fantastic. 
Um, but what a culture shift uh, from everybody coming to a church and cheering cheering you on to everybody participating and being involved and seeing themselves as things. What was the what was some of the most challenging parts of that process of making that transitionary shift from uh, passive observing Christianity or a program orientated stage to a participatory? Uh, everybody gets to play here. Um, everybody's involved. What what were some of those challenges? Because I, I, you just made it sound so easy just then. You know, you made it sound like we just did this, and suddenly we had everybody involved in focusing on God's word. Everybody jumped into extraordinary prayer. Everybody just went out amongst the lost, and and they were starting groups. And yeah, no challenges involved in that at all, right? <laughs> yeah. So it was very few that did all of those things that you just mentioned. <laughs> Not everybody. And Dave, here's the thing. I, I, I partly blame myself. And the reason why is, and again, we weren't knowingly doing this, but in the first 10 years, we had a church that really revolved around them coming and consuming, not producing, right? So when you change that on somebody 10 years in, I can understand how it's like, hey, that's not before what I did was I came here and I sat here and you preached good sermons and we had good worship services. You weren't trying to make me into a disciple maker. <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. So one of the challenges, Dave, is that um, you know some people say, what you draw them with, you draw them to. So if you draw them with more of a consumeristic experience, that's what they're drawn to. That's what they're used to. That's what's comfortable. That's what they like. If you change that, which we did, and say, hey, no, no, we're going to be not consumers. We're going to be producers. We're going to go out and you know, produce or make uh, disciples that make disciples. Dave, that, uh, that presents challenges when you make a change like that. So I would just say, and your audience probably could guess just from the story, just the vision itself and its practical implications created all kinds of challenges in terms of people having to figure out what they wanted to do. So that's, that's one thing I'd say. Another thing I'd say is, Dave, when, when people that you've journeyed with for a number of years that are your good friends decide, I don't think this is the journey for me, that's hard. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you, can't, you can't say that's not hard, you know? Mm-hmm. And again, even if you bless them and, hey, you know, you know, bless you in Jesus' name, and they go off to another great church. I knew a lot of the pastors in town, so many great churches in town, so I know they would be a part of a great church. Dave, it's still hard, you know? And it's it's um, probably kind of like uh, a mission in a battle. You know, if you're on one mission together with a group of people, and then a number of years later you have a different mission with a different group, you miss your friends, <laughs> you yeah. know? It's hard. Yeah. Because yeah. you're not getting to do it with all, with all your friends. Now, of course, some stay, some stay, and you get to continue to do it with uh, with uh, some of your friends. But it's, it, Dave, you're asking about challenges. One thing that's challenging when you lead a church through a transition like this, and I know other pastors that have uh, done the same, is just not everybody is going to go with you. Yeah. And Dave, you know that, but once not everybody does go with you, it's hard. It's hard. And, and, and David, you know that you're paying a cost, and it feels like. It. So I would say um, I would say that's definitely a challenge. And then I think another challenge too, Dave, is for the people that are coming along. As you know, in being a student of movements, you go slow to go fast. It starts slow. It takes perseverance. So Dave, whereas we would have 4,000 people show up in a weekend, when your 50 church planners are going out, 
you don't have 4,000 believers the first week. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You don't have, I mean, it takes time. And you go out, Dave, and you go out to tough parts of town, you talk to people, and not everybody's responsive. And it may take you a while to see some of your first baptisms. And so, Dave, I would say another challenge for anybody, I think, pursuing movements is getting from Gen Zero churches to Gen One. If you talk to Dr. Stan Parks, or I'm sure Curtis Sargent, or some of the David Watson, Gen Zero to Gen One is probably one of the hardest generational hurdles because it's getting the first believers in the first churches and that's taken out thousands days of spiritual conversations thousands of dg invitations tons of groups starting a lot of the groups flake some of them make it and become churches so dave just i would just say the whole cpm and in our particular case our approach was the dmm process dave takes time and it takes stan would often say it doesn't just take time and steve smith the late steve smith who wrote t for t also would say he, they say it's hard work. You got to put in a lot of effort. <laughs> you got to do a lot of serving of lost people. You got to have a lot of spiritual conversations. Dave, it's not that you have two spiritual conversations and for every two people you talk to, one's a person of peace and they're on fire. It's not, it's not. Even in parts of Africa, Dave, where movements have broken out, I've done some of the uh, research on the reporting they've given. Dave, even when a movement is bro- broken out in some of these areas, they still are only finding one person of peace for like every 100 people they talk to. You're yeah. like, what? That's a lot of work. That's, yeah. You have to talk yeah. to a lot of people. And in this particular movement in a part of Africa, they're talking to thousands of people. So they find the people of peace. But Dave, we want to go out. We want instant gratification. That's Western culture. I want to talk to two people. And for every two people I talk to, I want one of them to be a person of peace that becomes a multi-generational church planner. Dave, it doesn't happen like that in most cases. So one of the challenges is persevering while you're waiting for God to cause this thing to multiply. Wow. That's really great. I can imagine while you're going through all this and your numbers go down, your giving goes down, there would be a great temptation for you. And I've heard this through talking with pastors and people. Look, let's not uh, rock the ship too much. Let's not, let's, let's not uh, change this. Let's just try and shift the culture, but let's not do away with what we've been doing because we're going to lose people and that's that's like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Were you tempted to stop and go, whoa, whoa, we're, we're losing people? Um, maybe we should just try and back off a bit on some of these accelerators or the, the sales that we're talking about. Let's back off a bit and so that we can keep keep the people so we can keep momentum so we can keep critical mass so what what about that kind of temptation of of just just not taking your foot off the accelerator and some of these critical areas that we're you're talking about well it it's certainly a temptation obviously especially when you've spent dave 10 years growing something and then now to see it not you know to see you're losing people you're thinking i gotta do something i gotta stop you you know so, Dave, this is where multiplying extraordinary prayer came in. Every day we were asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want us to do? Lord, there's a little light switch here. We can flip this. We can, we can slow down, change it, do something different. Maybe we're not communicating it clearly. Dave, I, mean, I tell people all the time. Well, let me, let me tell you how one of, our, um, one of the people in our congregation that left said it. He said, you know, I don't think I'm going to join you for this journey. 
But he said, I don't think anybody would go on this journey if God hadn't told them to. Meaning, like, Chris, the fact that you're even doing this, even though I'm not going to join you, I'm cheering for you because I can't imagine why you would choose this for yourself. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, Dave, I think, you know, you know, the only reason we kept going, Dave, was because we felt like we were aiming to please the Lord and not men. And as he told us to keep going, even in spite of the consequences, we did. And, Dave, we were often reminded of the crowds that were drawn to Jesus, he would say, eat my flesh and drink my blood, and then everybody would leave. So, I mean, Jesus totally understood. He totally understood the experience, you know. And and again, we were open, Dave. If the Lord had said, slow this down or do this differently, I, I am not thinking, Dave, looking back, everything we did perfectly or anything. We were just doing our best to listen to the Lord. Maybe sometimes we heard well. Maybe sometimes we should have done that a little bit differently. I'm, I'm You know, time will tell. and I'm sure there'll be some things that will say, hey, if you do something like this, do this differently. But Dave, at the end of the day, I mean, we, was it a temptation? Maybe, but the reason we would have never acted on that temptation was because we felt affirmed each day in prayer and each weekend through the night in prayer that this week we were on track with what the Lord wanted us to do. And Dave, I was less concerned, and this is hard for a pastor for sure, especially, this is like my baby in a sense, right? I mean, we started this. Um, I I was less concerned about what it looked like on the weekend or what it would look like in the future and more concerned, am I a man pleaser or am I a God pleaser? And I just want to make sure, Lord, that at the end of the day, I'm pleasing you. And I sure would love all these people to stay. And Dave, it's not like I wanted them to leave. <laughs> just, just to be clear, it wasn't like, yeah. "Hey, everybody, please leave." No, I mean, we, I mean we're going to we start wanted, a movement. Go away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we wanted Dave. Yeah. We, I cast vision with all my heart. Wrote a book, Dave. The book. So the book that maybe some of your readers, your listeners, have read. Dave, the book wasn't so that necessarily people in Australia or Europe or even outside of Lubbock would read it. Dave, the book was written so that everybody in our church. And the other pastors in our city could at least understand in great detail how the Lord had brought us on this journey. Dave, so that maybe even some of the pastors in our city would think, I don't know if I would do what they're doing, but they're not as crazy as I thought because I read the book and I kind of understand. <laughs> you know. So Dave, the book was written just for kind of our church. And then other people started getting a hold of it and started saying, hey, Chris, what y'all are doing? The Lord's speaking to me. And I think we're supposed to lead our church in that direction. So, Dave, we thought we would be the only ones. We're totally nuts. There's no nobody else would ever conceive of something like this. And then, as we talk a little bit more in a few minutes about what came, came um, what the Lord did in the days ahead, you'll be amazed. We were amazed by how far-reaching, I guess, our story became, and how many people called us up and said, "We want to join the journey." For the listener, you uh, might want to jump on the website either while you're listening or or um, after the, the podcast it's experiencelifenow.com and in the in the blog of uh, there is a wig take what's it going to take dmm blog you're gonna you're gonna be uh, inundated with some fantastic resources and the journey and the lessons that are learned these the, the sales that we're talking about but so, so much more. I really want to encourage you, jump on experiencelifenow.com and have a look at their blog site, fantastic resources, and you'll be drawn into the journey that uh, Chris is talking about and uh, 
there's just so much. Even listening to this conversation, I am just registering faith and I'm registering passionate prayer and areas of growth 